0: On the morning of November 23, 2009, in Maguindanao, when armed men stopped a convoy heading to a COMELEC office to file Toto Mangudadatu's Certificate of Candidacy, one of the first things they did was take their captives' belongings. Journalists, lawyers, and Mangudadatu's relatives were stripped of their bags, cameras, laptops, cell phones, but Cynthia Okendo Ayon managed to hold on to her phone. It was a Sony Ericsson P1i, silver and black, with red numbers on an odd, quirky keyboard. Two letters shared each key. The lawyer had been using that phone for less than a year. And on this grisly morning, it would be her lifeline. Or so she thought. I'm Pam Pastor, a journalist from the Philippine Daily Inquirer. I'm also the host of Super Evil, an Inquirer podcast powered by Puma Podcast. This November, you'll hear me here on Teka Teca as we release stories to commemorate the 12th anniversary of the Maguindanao Massacre. The powerful Ampatuan clan of Maguindanao wanted to stop Toto Mangudadatu, their former ally, from running for governor of the province. So Toto's mother sent her daughter-in-law and other Mangudadatu women instead to file Toto's Certificate of Candidacy before the Commission on Elections on November 23, 2009. Toto's mother thought that the Ampatuans wouldn't touch these women. But she was wrong. Armed men stopped the convoy carrying the Mangudadatus, their supporters, and journalists covering the filing of the COC. And Cynthia Okendo Ayon was one of those who had been abducted. As I mentioned at the start of this sode, the victims had been stripped of their belongings. But Cynthia held on to her phone. Andal Patuan Jr. and the rest of their abductors took them to a hilly area in Sitio Masalay. They started shooting using high-powered firearms. People screamed and begged for their lives, but their pleas were ignored. Their bodies were pumped with bullets from assault rifles, machine guns, and even a grenade launcher. Cynthia, who was one of Toto Mangudadatu's lawyers, had gone with a convoy to assist Toto's wife, Gigi, as she filed his COC for him. Cynthia's father, Catalino Okendo Jr., had gone with Cynthia because he didn't want her driving the long distance from their home to the Mangudadatu's house. And now, both Cynthia and Catalino Jr. were in danger along with the rest of the people who had joined the convoy. But, as she gripped her cell phone, Cynthia had hope. She knew one of the lawyers of the Ampatuans. Maybe he could put a stop to what was happening. She sent a series of texts while people around her were being shot. "'I've been kidnapped with my father. Please tell your client Ampatuan. Enough, please. We might get killed. They are firing.' This is not a joke, please. Please don't call. Cell phones aren't allowed here. Please. So many people are already dead. Cynthia sent one last message at 11.14am. And then... Silence. Cynthia's body was recovered. The next day, she had been shot 12 times. She was just 35. She left behind three young sons. Her father, Catalino Jr., had been killed too. His body bore 12 gunshot wounds. At the funeral home where Cynthia's body had been taken, Honito Puton, an assistant embalmer, found Cynthia's cell phone hidden in her underwear. He took the phone, which was now stained with blood, and put it in his bag. That night, he tried to turn it on, but the battery was dead. He had every intention of keeping the dead woman's phone, but the owner of the funeral home called him, looking for it. And so, he surrendered it. Eliseo Coliado, the funeral home owner, handed over the phone to Cynthia's brother Raymond. Raymond then gave the phone to Cynthia's husband, Dennis Ayon. On the morning of the massacre, Cynthia had greeted Dennis with a text message, Good morning, dearest, and told him she'd probably be back by lunchtime. At her wake, Dennis held her blood-stained phone in his hands. Dennis then gave the cell phone to Gemma Okendo, Cynthia's sister, who was also a lawyer. Gemma would know what to do with a phone, Dennis thought. It might contain vital information. Dennis, Gemma, and her brother Raymond decided to submit the phone for forensic examination by the police criminal investigation and detection group. But when they were told that only police officials could be in the lab while the cell phone was being examined, they decided not to push through with it. Gemma later told the court that they didn't know who they could trust. Fearing that their lives were in danger too, for months and months she kept Cynthia's phone and didn't surrender it to authorities. Gemma told the court a police officer had even offered her money for the phone. Gemma extracted data from the phone herself using the software My Phone Explorer. She printed the phone's call and messaging history. A total of 16 pages. On October 27, 2011, almost two years after the massacre, the National Bureau of Investigation finally inspected the phone under the watchful eyes of Gemma and representatives of the Department of Justice. The examination hit a snag, Because their license for the software CellBright Universal Forensic Extraction Device had expired. And the other software they used, Mobile Edit Forensic, was not compatible with Cynthia's phone. Attempts to extract messages and call logs just resulted in an error, quote-unquote, connector not running. The NBI reached out to Homeland Security Investigations, the investigative arm of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, and asked for help. In the meantime, they took photos of the text messages Cynthia sent and received on the day of the massacre. In December 2011, representatives from Homeland Security Investigations arrived armed with Cellbrite's universal forensic extraction device, one with a still-valid license. And so, they were able to extract text messages, missed calls, images, and contacts from Cynthia's cell phone. When Cynthia sent those messages on the morning of November 23, 2009, she hoped that they could save her life, and her father's, and those of the people traveling with them. But they didn't. They weren't enough to stop evil that day. Instead, those messages that she hurriedly sent as people were getting shot point-blank around her would go on to help convict Andal Ampatuan Jr. in a trial that would last for a decade. And that was today's episode of Teca Teca. Again, I'm Pam Pastor, a journalist from the Philippine Daily Inquirer. Join me again in the next episode as we release a new story to commemorate the 12th anniversary of the Maguindanao Massacre. You can also listen to our six-part podcast on the Maguindanao Massacre. Just search for Super Evil, A Beautiful Place to Die. This episode was written by myself and produced by Tricia Aquino. Audio Editor is Presh capistrano Also follow Teka Teka and Puma podcast wherever you get your podcasts